What's up, everyone? It's Denise Salcedo. Welcome back to the channel. I am very excited to introduce to you my guest for today. He is killing it. He is getting back into the groove of things in the independent world of pro wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mansoor. Mansoor, how are you? I'm doing great, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, you know what? I was very excited. I know I told you this already off air, but legitimately I reached out to you and I'm like, let's see if he gets back to me. And you got back to me so quick. You hooked me up with that interview with Mason. And I just thought that that was like a really cool thing to do. It's my pleasure. I was very excited to hear from you. I'm a big fan. I think you do great work. So uh, thank you for uh, reaching out. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. How are your holidays? Great. Uh, everything's going great. Uh, I have a 11 month uh, daughter. And uh, she's having a great time. She got a bunch of presents uh, from her grandma and all her family. So uh, it's it's been wonderful because I think at a certain point, it's kind of less about you and more about everybody around you. And uh, I find that to be a lot more fun in that sense. Like I can't I can't justify getting video games anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm a grown man. Like I can buy my own stuff. Like I don't need people to give me stuff anymore. So it's gotten to the point where I'm realizing that I am old. I am a boomer now. Because I got like, um, I got underwear and I was like, yes, I needed more underwear. Like I keep running out. And I had that connection, I, I, that spark came in where I was like, oh my God, I've become my father. It's over. <laughs> they always say that you become what your parents, like you yes. become your parents, right? 100%. Girls become their mothers, guys become their fathers or however it be. But I was going to ask you, I was going to say, I bet you now that you have an 11, uh, an 11 month old, she gets all the gifts and you get, yeah. you don't get the same amount anymore. Yeah, my dogs get more presents than me. So <laughs> it's a complete total re reversal i used to uh, be so excited to get i i would make a list i'd say listen mom i know santa's not making video games okay but i want this game i want this game i want this game <laughs> now i barely even have time to play although i try uh with the kid crawling around all the time and she actually tries to play with me but um it's still amazing you know it's uh, it's i can't even begin to describe what fatherhood is like um I'm I'm gonna I'm starting to travel like uh, January, February, March. I'm booked every weekend, and I'm I oof, it's it's kind of getting to be a little bit because, you know, I was still with WWE when uh, she was born, but um, I guess you know when she was so much younger, when she was like a baby, baby. Uh, really, all you do is keep them alive. They're kind of like a plant. You just water them, and <laughs> but now she's like talking a little bit and babbling and crawling around and waving and clapping, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna miss her first steps, like. God forbid, you know? So no, we'll I feel like the timing somehow always works out. Watch, it's sure. going to be like that random day that you're at home, not expecting for anything major to happen. And all of a sudden she starts walking and you're like, yay, I didn't miss it. Fingers crossed. That's what I'm hoping. Yes, but either way, she knows that dad is out there hustling, you know, making some money, all Doing of that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so let's let's get to that, Mansoor. You know, you uh, recently became a free agent, and now you're out there getting all of these bookings. You're going to be at GCW, which is very exciting. Um, you were at Deadlock Pro not like a couple days ago, and so now, like, how are you getting back into the groove of things with you know getting bookings and really being on this your term your schedule type of basis first of all i want to thank you for the very kind way of putting that i got released <laughs> I became hey man, a free agent. that's a very good way that's what i'm going to tell my uncle when he's like what happened to your job why aren't you in WWE? how come i can't see you on tv anymore oh 
I became a free agent. You don't understand. <laughs> hey, it's it's it, it gives you more freedom, man. No, no, it no, gives no, you more freedom. And I can joke about it because I'm not like bitter about it. It, it. it doesn't like it did bother me, believe me. But 90 days is a long time. And at a certain point, you're in bed and you're trying to go to sleep. And all you can think about is what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And at some point you're like, I can't live like this. I got to just try and make the most of it and make the best of it. And that's exactly when it turned on for me. Like um, probably a month after I got let go, I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to every single person I know. I'm going to I'm gonna be DMing. I'm going to be emailing. I'm going to be texting. I'm going to be calling. I'm going to make this happen. I was intent. I think the thing that I emphasize more than anything else about this process where um, I'm going on the independence and I'm going to be on these all these independent promotions is I can make it happen for myself finally because the most frustrating thing about being in WWE when you weren't being used is you had no other options you're technically a free agent in the sense you're an independent contractor but you can't really work anywhere else and if they don't want you to work you're not working I mean there were periods of time where I would go months without taking a single bump where I wasn't in the ring for for a minute and you know you can train and you can try and stay in shape and keep that ring rust off but Man, it, it really gets to your soul. So now I can say, and I'm proud of it because if I fail, I fail because of me. And if I, if I succeed, I succeed because of me. And I'm, I'm so content with that. I'm so happy and I'm so excited to be able to go out there and say, listen, for whatever happened in WWE, what you're about to see is who I really am. And you're about to get the, the most serious and real indicator of my talent. And if it goes great, phenomenal. If it doesn't, I'll fade off into the sunset, but at least I get to know it was based on my own talent. And, and um, that's kind of the, the thing that I want to emphasize is um, it's based on me. And, and, and however it goes, I'm happy that I was able to do my best. That's, I, I don't mean to ramble. It's kind of a difficult way of putting it. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is when you're in WWE, it's like, you keep thinking, what am I doing wrong? When you're put in a position where it's like, I'm not on these house shows anymore. I'm not on TV anymore. But if I'm on the indies and I'm killing it and they're inviting me to come back, I know I've done something right. And that's what I'm really excited about. It's you have to bet on yourself. And we have seen so many different situations where talent is maybe not utilized in the best way, right? When they're there, when they're in WWE. And then all of a sudden, you know, they go off, they do all of these other things, they travel the globe. And next thing you know, you either, hey, you decide to stick with what you're doing with that end. Or all of a sudden, there's some other opportunities that come at you, whether it's another promotion, whether it's WWE calling you back once again. I feel like everything happens for a reason. And like you said, there were periods of time where you didn't even have like a match. You weren't taking a bump. And you're out there thinking, what am I doing wrong? So when that's happening, at least now you can say, hey, if I didn't work this weekend, that was because of me. That wasn't exactly. because someone didn't want to book me. A hundred percent. That's you put it so succinctly. I, I, it's tough for me to kind of express these thoughts and feelings because, uh, to be honest, they've kind of been uh, wallowing around a little bit for the last ninety days, and I haven't really had the chance to totally verbalize them. Um, you put it so well. I mean, having the ability to say that's on me is so freeing, because then you can actually look at yourself and work on the things that you feel you're lacking. Whereas in WWE, it's kind of like, man, I don't know what I'm doing wrong because every time I have a house show match, the producer says you did awesome. Every time I talk to a writer, they say, hey, thanks for the ideas. You're doing great.
but it's not showing in the actual essence of the job. You're not working. But if you're not working on the Indies, it's just because you're not going out and getting it. So uh, you're 100% right. So when we kind of talk about this time period when you're in WWE, and obviously like you have some like really great moments we'll get into in just a second, but during that time when you're not, you know, being utilized, were you out there, you know, pitching ideas? What was the feedback that you were getting? I know you just mentioned that they would tell you you did a good job, but like, did they ever tell you, hey, Mansoor, like this is the plan that we have going for you? Uh, like, did you, were you ever aware of your creative? Uh, it's a great question. And, and of course, it's um, I, I kind of was there for for two regimes, right? There was the Vince McMahon regime, and the Triple H regime and uh, that the whole craziness of that transition. Uh, so it was a little bit different for both. But um, I was pitching ideas constantly. I mean, every, almost every week, if I wasn't on TV, I was sending uh, and everybody in WWE, when you're a, a wrestler, you're assigned a writer who is on the creative team. And that writer essentially is your liaison, uh, sort of your point of contact with creative. You send them the ideas. Sometimes you'll send the whole team the ideas, but primarily they're the ones introducing your ideas to the room. If they do, hopefully they do. And uh, every time I, I, I would say the vast majority of writers were very kind to me and very professional with me. And um, during the Maximum Male Model Run, they were actually uh, more welcome and open to us doing our own lines and writing our own promos and improvising. And I, and I think that has something to do with the fact that uh, we did that YouTube show. I don't know if you saw any of that. We did making I saw several show. clips of though. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, I, that, that was always something that we were told was a big hit in the writer's room. So uh, that was something that we produced and wrote and directed and shot sort of all of our own. Um, so when they saw that, they were like, Oh, wait a minute. Like we can kind of trust these guys to, to do some funny stuff. Uh, so that was always fun. Um, but as far as like, Okay, here's your plan for next month. No. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I will tell you. The one time I did get plans uh, was uh, during the initial maximum male model run under Vince. Because that was, from what I was told, his baby. This was supposedly his project that he wanted to do for like a year. He'd be in the writers room going, oh, I want some male models. I need to get some, I need to get good looking guys to be male models. And they were like, oh, okay, Vince. And then finally, it came down to him being like, damn it, get the male models on TV. So I said, okay, who can we get for this male model thing? And, and you had me, who was doing nothing. Uh, I had just had my program with uh, Mustafa Ali. Uh, we had the blow off at Crown Jewel, which was a super important match to me. Um, I, like, I'm super, super close with Mustafa. And I sort of see him as like my wrestling dad. So, uh, like, literally, like, the angle where he's the grizzled vet and i'm like the young uh doe-eyed blue chipper it was a shoot like it was legit he dragged me around backstage introducing me to all the production guys all the writers all the like lead writers who i was too scared to talk to and he said mansoor talk to him introduce yourself okay good now we're gonna talk about our angle tonight that's legit what ali is like he's down to business and he has absolutely no fear about like his ambition or making sure his career advances and that's a, a quality of him that i really looked up to but um, after that happened, I was kind of stuck in a quagmire, didn't know what I was doing, wasn't on the next Saudi show, which was like a huge blow. It basically was kind of a confirmation to me that I was stepping back from that role as the Saudi guy. So uh, I was looking around for advice. I actually remember John Laurinaitis. Uh, I went to his office because uh, he was head of TR at the time. And uh, he was like, Mansoor, basically what you need to do is you got to figure out a character because you can't just be the Saudi guy. You got to come up with something like uh, you can be like a mad scientist or something. I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I'll be a mad scientist. I don't know. 
so I was like trying to think like what can I do that isn't just uh oh like his character is he comes from a different country because he has a point you know American fans are not going to connect with that so uh I was trying to do something where I was kind of like uh based on DDP it was like a mix of DDP and Simon Dean I don't know if you remember the Simon system yes I did the milkshakes the gym bag the little the little gear exactly so my pitch was that I was going to be a self-help uh it it was like a self-help guru but more in the style of like um uh, almost like a, a multi-level marketing scheme, right? You know those like things where it's like uh, a pyramid scheme. I was gonna where... say a pyramid scheme, those Facebook ones you get. Dude, yeah, exactly. So, because <laughs> I got a message from a girl in my high school who was like, "Hey, Monster, how you been?" I was like, "I've never talked to this woman." Yeah, how are you? She was like, "I'm great because I've been drinking purified water from this alkaline machine." That pure. Did you know you have like negative electrolytes in your water? I was like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" So I check out her profile page, and she does this thing where she goes to like Hawaii every year to go with a bunch of like other young people and they buy like these machines and then they sell them to the next people. So I'm like, Oh my God, this is something like, I feel like this is because like cults and wrestling have always been people in hoods doing like spooky stuff, but why not do a cult where the God is money, right? Where like, where realistic, realistic. Exactly. So my idea was I go away for a while and then you see me come back. We have these vignettes for me selling this self-help book or this DVD in the commercials of raw and SmackDown. So there'd be an ad block. And then you'd see my vignette in the middle of that ad block as if it were just a commercial for an actual product. Um, and I filmed the whole vignette where uh, I was basing the promo on that. And I and I put it on my iPad and I'm, I'm walking to Vince McMahon's office getting ready to present this pitch. And I sit down and I say, sir, I have something for you. And he goes, put that shit away. <laughs> no. I put it away. He goes, he goes, I already got an idea for you. You're going to be a male model. I was like, oh, so okay. he didn't even hear it out at all? No, because he had already decided what I was going to do. Um, and we actually ended up pitching that with Mace uh, later on, um, like a year later, once the male model stuff got kiboshed. But when Vince was in charge of the male model stuff, here was the plan. If you remember, we came out and for an entire segment of SmackDown, right? A two-hour show featuring Roman Reigns and the Bloodline on uh, free TV on Fox, a huge network. An entire segment was dedicated to us coming out and posing. <laughs> and we were like, what is happening? We would have rehearsals backstage before the show. Not backstage, in the bowl, like outside in the ring. And I remember, I'll never forget, it was the lead up to Money in the Bank. And all these ladders were around, right? Because they put them on the set. And uh, it's time for the model rehearsal. Time for the model rehearsal. We come out in our, you know, Gucci, Versace that we bought, by the way. And uh, the company would later reimburse us for, which was oh, crazy. Okay. Every week we'd go to the mall and buy clothes for our model gimmick. And the company would say, here's a few thousand dollars to buy that and that and that. We were like, That's oh my the God. dream. What a sweet gig, right? My wife was really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous right now. Yeah. So uh, we were wearing our clothes. And then they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Get all these, get all these ladders out of here. Get these ladders out of here. We're like, oh my God, they're actually, uh, get, get talent. Everyone leave the ring, leave the stage we had never done anything like this. Okay. We were never put in a position where we were felt like the focus of the show or the rehearsal. So we get out there and they're telling us how to pose. They're telling us how to look at the camera and for how long. And then we hear Vince is coming. Vince is coming. Vince is coming. And Vince McMahon descends from the rafters, like sting. (laughs) He's like, and by the way, he never goes to rehearsal. He's always in his office. He used to like back in the day, like, 90s 2000s some of the 2010s but for most of the time he's just in his office and he comes down and he's looking at us he's looking at us on that podium and uh, he looks at mason he says 
white pants. You can't wear white pants. Looks bad on TV. Change it. I'm like, oh, my God. Run back to the locker room. He changes his pants. Run back. And he's just, like, staring at us. And I've never felt more like – it was a cool feeling, but it was also very surreal because I was – I was I had never done so little in wrestling for so much, right? I had wrestled. I had taken bumps off the top rope onto the apron. I'd gone through tables. I fell off ladders. But this was the most nervous I had ever felt because Vince McMahon was judging my posing ability. <laughs> So after that happened, we we did our uh, debut modeling segment. And then the next week, we did our tennis fashion show. And I was like, I was talking to my writer. I was like, what do you guys think we're going to do? And he was like, well, if um, if you believe Vince, you're not going to wrestle for like six months. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, he just wants you to model for months and months and months. And the plan was every week or every other week, we'd come out and do a new fashion line. And that's what he wanted to do. I have no idea if that's actually what would have happened. But at the time, I was like, this is a pretty sweet gig I got going on. (laughs) I am like literally, I'm shook right now with all of this information. So I have a couple of questions. First of all, so with Vince out there telling, watching you do these poses, and you know, it's obviously something different. You feel totally out of the box uh, doing something like that. How did you feel doing that in front of him? And then what feedback did he give you in regards to like the poses themselves? So Vince was very specific, right? He he wanted Mace uh, because obviously Mace is so much better looking than me. He wanted Mace to be the chiseled, handsome god of fashion, right? With the square jaw and he's giant and he's this hulking, but also very sort of like elegant and slender physique. And uh, Vince's idea for me, because something he said to me is he was like, oh, you're a, you're a, I always feel that you had a, you were a, you have a very charming personality. You're very well-spoken. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He was like, I want you to be suave. I want you to be uh, this charismatic prince. I was like, oh, okay. So what he emphasized was that he wanted the cameras to linger on Brennan's, I'm sorry, Mace's body parts, like his arms and his quads and his, his quads. I was just wa- rewatching yes. that today. And I was yes. like, wow, because he's doing the small shorts and it's, you know, going all the way up. You see the quads. A hundred percent, like statuesque, like Michelangelo's <laughs> David. And yes. what he wanted for me is he wanted me, he wanted me to have sunglasses so that I could turn them down and just pierce the camera. He was like, I want you to look into the people's souls. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, so I was doing a lot of these like, looks like this where I would like kind of give doe eyes. Um, And one of the things actually is uh, one of the writers was like, Hey, you really want to put over this like pretty boy thing. You should blow a kiss to the camera. I was like, okay. So during the rehearsal, I did a turn. I went, (laughs) and then Vince came over and he was like, maybe don't blow a kiss. (laughs) The kiss, the kiss is what did it was what was over the top too much. (laughs) That's where he draws the line. He's like, this is turning into something else now. Yeah. And it was so surreal because um, we actually also, I don't think we ever told this story. We also did a house show loop of just modeling. I swear to God, we went to the house show. We went to like three house shows. It was me, Mace, and LA Knight at the time, Max Dupree. Max came out, cut his promo to the ring, introduced us. We came out, modeled, left. That was it. Crowd was furious. <laughs> there was no payoff. No baby face came out to beat us up. We just modeled. And when I asked um, the producer, I was like, hey, like, why are we doing this? Like, I feel like it's kind of like 
the crowd's not liking this. He was like, well, Vince thinks that you guys should get practice. I was like, practice? Practice to just come out there and model. Yes. Wow. Yes. So, you know, it's so crazy to me because this is an idea that you said that Vince had had for a while and he really wanted to see it happen. But wouldn't you think that there would be more to that if he had had this idea for quite a good amount of time? So here's my hypothesis with Vince. And I don't really know him that well, obviously, but here's what I guess. Vince McMahon has probably seen more wrestling than anyone else on earth. I imagine he's seen it all and he's not impressed by anything anymore. So what does he want? Something completely different, which to a majority of the audience is going to, they're going to be like, what is this? Why are we watching this? But to Vince, it's like genius. <laughs> um, I assume that Vince just at some point just wanted to put stuff on TV that popped him. Um, I feel like that's kind of the natural progression of every promoter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Okay. So, you know, you're talking about kind of getting all of this attention from Vince McMahon, right? This is his baby. This is like the thing. When this ended, when Vince McMahon was gone and we walked him in this new regime with Triple H and there was all of this, you know, so much, so much, so many moving parts, right? Like one second we have Stephanie as CEO, we got Nick Khan coming in. I mean, there's just so much happening here. What was going on for you and for you and Mace during this time? Like, what were you thinking? What were you being told in regards to maximum male models and anything else? It was totally insane. Uh, here, so I'll give you sort of the cliff notes on the maximum male model run. So it starts with, um, and here's what happened. LA Knight had a dark match, right? And in this dark match, obviously, LA's jacked, charismatic. He's killing it. And Vince looks at the monitor, and this is what I heard. He goes, "Wow, who's that? And they say, oh, it's it's uh, LA Knight. He's in NXT. And then apparently he was like, how old is he? And then somebody told him, and he was like, ah. For whatever reason, he was super hung up on age at the time. So he was like, well, maybe I'll make him a manager, right? And of course, it's like, how are you going to make this guy a manager? Like, obviously, he's a great promo, but he's still got a lot left in the tank. But God bless LA Knight, because for... All, everyone always asks me, it's like, oh, do you have heat with LA? Do you have heat with LA? No, because he could have easily said no. But when they told him, hey, you're going to be a manager and your name's going to change to Max Dupree and you have to say it like that and you're going to be a part of this male model stable, he was like, yeah, all right. And honestly, I think it's because he had so much confidence in himself and his own ability the exact same way me and Mace did that we knew we were going to get this thing over, make it entertaining and make it work. And it's like, I, whenever we had a conversation about it, I'd be like, you know, uh, Sean, his real name, um you know you're just gonna get over and wrestle eventually right like that's the end game of this thing like i always think about uh pete dunn when he was butch or i don't know if he still is butch he's still butch yeah sure but when butch was uh in the beginning of that character when he was the scrappy uh, sort of like uh third guy in the brawling brutes that was coming out and attacking people and coming through the crowd uh vince said that he never wanted butch to wrestle a match what the idea behind butch is that he was always going to be just this scrappy character that would claw and attack people but he was never going to actually pete dunn right crazy i'm thinking about like pete dunn who's had some of the greatest matches that i've seen on nxt and this guy was not going to wrestle on the main Insane. roster i know but eventually he did of course because it's a wrestling show and he got over and he's a wrestler <laughs> so yes. that's what i always felt about the max dupree character is that you know max is going to do this thing and then eventually he's going to wrestle because that's just what happens. You run out of you you run out of things to do, and eventually you wrestle, right? 
Um, but I mean, we didn't even get close to there because um, two weeks into the maximum amount of run, the unthinkable happened. I mean, crazy. Like I was talking to Mesa about it. Like I remember we were at SmackDown and everybody's in the bowl and we all get a text and it's from Vince McMahon and it says, I'm retiring. And me and Mace looked at each other and we were like, just our luck. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, like it's a complicated issue and I could never uh, equate my career to right because you're like technically that happened with mm -hmm. the circumstances behind that retirement and, and all those things it's horrible but at the same time i was like i mean that's just the timing is so funny like you know what i mean like we're two weeks into this thing where we were told by everybody in the company if you commit to this if you totally if you don't boo boo poo poo face about it right and you you do this character the best you build and you don't complain i know everybody's telling you it's going to be the end of your career and it's going to kill your guys's career but if you commit to this you'll be millionaires and then two weeks later the guy the guy who came up with it is gone perfect timing <laughs> no we tried to stay positive we were like oh man i wish we could have gotten a longer run because then we could have at least shown people that the people behind this gimmick were talented and entertaining and making it work. Uh, but sadly, I, I don't think there was enough time, I think, to get that sort of um, uh, that trust with the audience. And I think that trust with Triple H, because when I found out that, you know, Triple H was going to be head of creative, I was like, it's tough because we didn't really have a relationship with Triple H, Triple H professionally because we weren't on NXT. And the reasons for that even are insane. I was being lined up to be a part of NXT. And then I found out that I wasn't on TV because I wasn't allowed to lose. After the Cesaro match, I started winning house shows. And eventually at some point I realized I was never losing. And I was like, what's going on? And then I ended up being like, I kept talking to the writers at NXT, like, here's my ideas. And they were like, we really want to get you on, but we keep getting the red light. We don't know why. And then finally they told me, hey, Vince said, you can't lose. And it's not even that you can't lose. You can't be in a tag team match and lose if you're not getting pinned. You can't be in a triple threat match where you lose, but you're not getting pinned. We can't protect you. You just have to win every single match. And their hands were tied. How are they going to put me on NXT when they got to book me, uh, you know, 200 pound, uh, six foot guys, Goldberg. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it wasn't going to happen. Um, so, I mean, thankfully they put me, I had a really fun, great run on 205 Live, but I was never allowed to challenge for the championship because if I won the damn thing, I wasn't allowed to lose it. So, um, I wasn't on NXT and Mace, obviously he wasn't on NXT. And so we didn't really have that rapport with Triple H, but all I wanted to tell him, and I never got the chance, but all I wanted to tell him was like, Hunter, I remember when you were my age, you were rolling around in a hog sty in mud with with phineas i godwin and you were hunter hearst helmsley pretending to have a british accent like that's me right now like i just want you to know that i'm committed to this gimmick because i'm a good soldier but if you gave me the chance to be myself i'll make a tremendous amount of money for this company but sadly you know not what really happened but who knows in the future things could happen we'll see I am like, I'm just blown away because I feel like, you know, with the maximum male models, you could have literally given that to just about anybody, right? And yeah. how many guys would have been like, I don't want to do that. That's embarrassing right. or however it is that they would have thought about it. But speaking to you, speaking to Mason, you guys really just like, uh, you grabbed the bull by the horns and you freaking ran with it because that was what you had. And that was an opportunity that could have led to something else. And I think you're right. I think had... 
um, there'd been more time with it. Maybe just maybe Triple H would have been like, okay, you know what? Maybe I was inspired coming off of that to something else, or maybe we'll kind of twist this and go a different direction. But there could have been these different things that could have gone different ways. So it is unfortunate that they never found something else or found a way to make Maximum Male Models like really, really take off for you guys. Now, there's something that you said earlier that I wanted to touch on because you had mentioned that at one point you realized, and even John Laronidas mentioned that, you couldn't just be the Saudi guy and you were in one of the shows you missed. Given how you started in WWE with these big moments uh, in Saudi and their relationship with Saudi Arabia and being the first Saudi Arabian superstar in the WWE, I can only imagine that that hurt, Mansoor, because I feel like when someone takes away like the big thing that started you off it, and it's your identity, you can't change that. And it kind of sucks that that was not enough. You get what I'm saying? A little bit. Um, yes and no. I, I actually, in a way, when I found out I was going to get this Maximum Male Model gimmick, I, I was actually kind of excited because I felt that I'm so tremendously proud to be Saudi. Uh, I grew up in Saudi Arabia for pretty much my entire childhood. I moved to the States when I was like 11 years old, 12 years old. Um, and I'll always remember that time fondly. And I, and I love going back. I actually had the opportunity to take my daughter back there a few months ago, which was amazing. My sisters came and um, I brought my wife with me and we all got, I mean, I got to show them around the places that I grew up, which is like, just, I mean, you, it's on the other side of the world. You don't always get that opportunity to do that. Um, so that was fantastic. And, and I always, I remember getting messages and, and being reached out uh, from Saudi fans who, I was just like them as a kid. I never thought I would get to see a WWE show in Saudi Arabia. So being a part of that was like amazing. Like I'll never forget the battle Royal and the match with Cesaro, which was like the match of my life. Um, the pressure behind that match, people actually don't know. Uh, I was so excited to work Claudio because obviously he's one of the best wrestlers in the world, period, hands down. And I like, I, I literally have pictures of me in high school wearing Cesaro t-shirts because I was like such a fan. Um, and he was amazing and gracious and was incredibly generous, not just to put me over, but to have the match that we had that essentially made my career. So I'll, I can't thank him enough for that. But what I didn't know was at the time, apparently that match had serious geopolitical implications. <laughs> uh, our, our producer was the Hurricane, who's one of my favorite producers. Shane's just amazing. And I remember during the day, Shane came up to me because we had worked a little bit before. He was a producer in NXT for a bit. And he came up to me and he was like, hey, man, I don't know what it is, but everybody's on my ass about this match. I was like, what do you mean, Shane? And he was like, well, Vince was like, you should have taken Mansoor and Cesaro to the ring the day before. You should have rehearsed this match. This has to be a WrestleMania level match. And that's what he kept saying. He kept saying this has to be a WrestleMania level match. And they didn't know that I had like any wrestling experience. Actually, in the Saudi tryout, I was the only person there who had previous experience. I had wrestled on the indies for, for a little bit. And um, they were like, if this match isn't great, something is going to happen. And apparently there was some kind of like standoff with um, WWE and Vince and like the, 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 the network or something. And they were threatening to not air the show. <laughs> and apparently it was like, if this match didn't go well, where their Saudi guy didn't put on an amazing performance, then something was going to go wrong. But I, I'll never forget, like we had that match and it was a banger and we get to the back and everybody, it looked like they had just, uh, they had just averted a crisis. I was like, what is going on around here? Um, 
Sorry, I forgot your question. Oh, right. No, Being I, the Saudi guy. Yeah, I definitely do because I'm thinking about this. So, okay. So, so Shane Helms comes up to you and he tells you that this is going on, that there's all of these pressures. Yeah. So he had already given you all of that information heading into the matchup or did you yeah. find out all the details <laughs> afterwards? Because I can't imagine what you're thinking at this point in time because like, yeah, of course you had the wrestling experience, but even with wrestling experience, you still might feel like the pressure of being put in this spot where all of a sudden there's more to the picture than there is here. I actually loved it. <laughs> is that kind of sick? I was like, whoa, like my performance tonight is going to affect people's lives. Cool. <laughs> is that insane? I don't know. Like I remember going out there and plus the energy from the crowd. This was my first singles match uh, on a PLE in front of my hometown, home crowd. My dad's in the audience, right? I have like 20 cousins in the audience. My brother who introduced me to pro wrestling is in the audience. And there's just like this buzzing and energy because like, I think people knew I was going to win, but that like thread of doubt that I wasn't was enough to make people sit on the edge of their seats and just like stand up and scream at every false finish. So I loved it. And knowing that there was like stakes within the match and stakes outside the match, kind of like, I was like, yeah, this is it. This is it. I can feel it. it added to it. I don't know why, but I think it also helped that Claudio was like, yeah, let's do this shit. Like, he was like, he was oh, like yeah. I got this. I'm going to make you look like a million bucks. We're going to have the match of the night and it's going to be easy. And uh, for him, I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's the thing though. So when it came to the issues and the reason why there was so much pressure on this, it, it wasn't specifically because they needed somebody who was Saudi Arabian to win the match and to have a good showcase or what exactly was it that caused so much pressure onto this matchup? I think they needed to be a good showcase uh, because later on I found out actually that, and maybe this has something to do with the switch because um, it used to be the sports authority that uh, was in partnership with WWE for these shows. And then it transitioned to the general entertainment authority. So these are two completely different departments of the Saudi government. And uh, it might've been that with the sports authority, they were like, Mansoor has to have an amazing match. He's the Saudi guy. Like he has to have it. But then with the entertainment authority, I actually found out, and this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I'll tell you, I was informed that they were like, Mansoor doesn't have to be on the show. And then that's why I wasn't on that Saudi show after the match with Mustafa, because uh, basically they had told Vince, they were like, you know, we'd prefer to have big stars. And I was like, what? You're like, a blow to the terrible ego. thing to say. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. I, I took it as a challenge. I was like, okay, kind of like what Sami Zayn did, who I look up to tremendously. And to speak on your question, Sami Zayn is a guy who, he has Arab uh, heritage. He's, he's Arab and he's Muslim, but it was never all he was. And I think that was the point that people were trying to make to me. Like, it's amazing to be proud of that and for that to be a part of you because it'll always be a part of you because it's who you are. But when that's all you are, it's difficult for people who outside of that cultural sphere to connect with you. And because WWE is a global company and because you have to kind of appeal to the most amount of people you can, you got to have something people can latch onto. And that's the one thing I will say about the maximum male models. Well, one of many that I really kind of admired is that we would do these house show loops, which were the highlight of our careers, by the way. We would do these house show loops where a majority of the audience are casual fans. They're not watching every single week. So a lot of the acts that come out, they're not necessarily aware of who they are. But the Maximum Male Models, when we came out and did our shtick, and we would do this thing called... So you know the Edge and Christian five-second pose, right? Yes, yes. 
So we did this thing where we'd come out and we'd tell the audience, you've seen headlock takeovers, you've seen drop kicks, but we're going to give you something better than that. We're going to give you the highlight of your life, the most entertaining segment in all of sports, fashion, and entertainment. Get ready for the Maximum Male Models five-minute pose. And we'd put a timer on the Titantron for five minutes. We'd turn and we'd go and hold it for as long as possible. And I swear to God, we never, I have never felt more heat except maybe for a Dominic Mysterio promo, but I have never experienced more heat in my life. It would be boo, quiet, boring, boring. Oh, but then after they got that out of their system, when they realized that we were actually doing this thing for five minutes, that's when the real heat came. And that's the kind of heat that I loved because once we got two and a half, three minutes in whoever's music that was going to hit that we were going to wrestle when they came out, it was like stone cold, Steve Austin <laughs> driving down in the ATV. Like people were like, yes, yes. Like, thank God. So what I will say that I loved about the maximum Mel gimmick is that people saw us and immediately knew how to feel about us. Whereas I think with just Mansoor, it was like, how do I feel about this guy? You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Oh my God, it's wild. Those five minutes, I'm sure felt, how did they feel like two minutes to you or did like they feel like hours. 10? <laughs> I was going to say, Four when you're hours. being booed, like, yeah, it's a great feeling, but you're out there holding the pose and you're like, well, how many more, how many seconds have I been doing this? Like, would you look up at the Tron? Would you count in your head? It was head? behind us. We had to face the the like big segment of the audience, was, which was always across from the Tron. So um, like something that it would always be fun is that I'd have my arms up and after a while, I'd start to tremble, oh, which God. was a shoot. And I love because people would go, oh, he, oh, he's, no, he's going to drop it. He's going to drop it. <laughs> and it became like a thing, people trying to psych us out. And I always wanted to do a thing. I never got to do it. But I wanted to hold the pose and then go, achoo. Oh. <laughs> restart, restart, restart. And then we start the clock over. from yeah. the beginning. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh my God. Can you imagine the heat that that would have got it? it oh, my, it's freaking I mean, wild. We had, especially like we would do European loops, which were the best. And we worked Alpha Academy, who are the best. And we had this match in Paris where it was like, wow, like this crowd's so amazing. Like by the time Otis finally hit his finish, the, the caterpillar elbow, like you could, you could hear and you could feel the roof come off the place. Like, Man, I really wish we got to have a match like that on TV with like stakes and time because I really think what we needed was a performance that showed we can go in the ring. And I remember every time we'd have a loop with a new producer, you know, Abyss and Davari and Hurricane and Petey Williams and Tyson Kidd and like uh, Adam Pierce, they'd always come up to us after the match and go, I didn't know the models could work like that. <laughs> I'd be like, whoa, like you guys can really go. And if only like the general audience had been allowed to see that, but you know. We're going all over the world soon, so maybe they will. Hell yeah, man. So I do want to kind of rewind a little bit and ask you about a couple of items here because uh, the tryout. Uh, during this time, you know, WWE is going out there. They're going to Saudi Arabia. First of all, I want to know what your reaction was to the announcement and the tryout, you know, how you got there, what the tryout was like. Did you actually think that they would hire you coming off of that? Uh, kind of walk us through what happened those early, early years. So I was living in uh, Emeryville, California. Me and my um, girlfriend, my wife now, uh, we're living in a kind of a shanty town a little bit. Not a shanty town, but like it had issues. Like the, um, the heater didn't work during the winter. We had mold growing in our bedroom. Our bathroom, like the ceiling was falling off and like urine was leaking down. Like it was rough. We were having a rough go, but we were doing our best. And I was wrestling on the indies for 
if I was lucky, 20 bucks a pop, but most of the time for free, which is, you know, standard for the course. Um, and then one day I uh, get a call and it was like, hey, is this Mansour Shahel? And I was like, hi, who's this? And they were like, we're uh, with the Saudi um, Sports Authority and we're putting together a tryout for WWE. And I was like, what? Because I didn't expect, in my mind, I was going to struggle and grind on the indies for years and years and years until I got a tryout. But now all of a sudden it was coming uh, because of where I came from. So it was kind of surreal. And um, I remember being like, hey, honey, like, I guess I'm going to Saudi Arabia for a try with WWE. And she was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so I left and I, uh, it was, it was, uh, I think, I, I don't remember if it was in Jeddah or in Riyadh, but I remember my family coming um, to support me. And I was there, I think with like 30 or 50 people. And they were like, okay, we're going to select eight finalists. And it was like a, a, a two week long tryout or something like that. Maybe it was one. And I was the only person there with wrestling experience, but I was also the person there with the least like, real sports experience there were football players mma fighters boxers there were military men there were all kinds of super athletes and i was like okay i'm very easily like kind of the least impressive looking guy like at the time i was like 175 pounds like i had to bulk up actually that's a different story for another day but but vince himself told me that i needed to gain 20 pounds of muscle <laughs> and he put me on with his personal trainer oh so, wow um, but anyway at the time i was super skinny and I was like, okay, I got to compensate by being the best damn athlete in this entire tryout. I have the experience, but when it comes to the, to the physical aspect of it, where they're going to make me do cardio and stamina training, I got to blow all these guys away. I treated it like, and I kept putting this over in my mind. I was like, if this is your one and only tryout, you got to treat it like it is. You're never going to get another chance. Even if I would have, you got to treat it like you won't. So I, I, I treated it like it was life or death and it, it paid off. I was one of the eight at the end and then the final eight turned down to four. And then one of those guys was gone. So in the end, there was only three people left that were signed to WWE. And then two of those guys got let go. So I ended up being the last person left and now there's none. <laughs> so, and they haven't had a tryout there since. So I, I'm kind of thinking like, maybe it is like not really a, a, um priority to have saudi talent on the shows i mean it only makes sense with what i've heard yeah you're like it's all of a sudden it's not as mandatory as it might have once seemed like it was but hey man it all worked out for you because then you ended up being in the wwe for uh, several years and i do want to talk to you about you know having that moment where you won the 51 man greatest greatest battle royal uh first of all like how was it like to a be in a ring with that many dudes in there <laughs> there's a lot of bodies in there uh and secondly to be able to actually win that like what was your reaction to that <laughs> so that was a really weird day i was so so i was 23 when i got signed and i think i had just turned 23 when that match happened and i was so overwhelmed and intimidated I was literally in the same building with all my heroes growing up. I was like, oh my God, like I'm a fan of like everybody here. Like I'm freaking out. This is crazy. And when you're on the indies, you're taught whenever you go to a show, shake everybody's hand, introduce yourself. That's the right thing to do. So get this. I go to NXT and I show up at my first NXT show and I'm shaking everybody's hands. And who of all people, Mace pulls me aside and says, we don't do that here. Okay. 
that's an indie thing. All right, you don't have to do that. These are all your coworkers. We get it. I was like, oh, okay. So I ended up going to the Saudi show being like, I'm not going to bother anybody. I'm not going to shake anybody's head. <laughs> Huge mistake. Huge mistake. Who pulls me aside? But my future wrestling dad, Mustafa Ali, he said, hey, brother, I'm looking out for you because you and me, you know, we're, we're brothers. You got major heat. <laughs> no. You got major heat because not only did you not say hi to everybody, you're winning the damn battle royal that everybody got dragged over here for. And uh, you're not being gracious about it. I was like, oh, I was freaking out. I was like, oh, my God. On top of that, I had the, the Shane McMahon fiasco. Do you know that story? I might as well tell it. Yeah, tell that one. <laughs> uh, where uh, it was in the same venue as my tryout segment with the Davaris. And in that segment, we had uh, a sort of a mini locker room where the bathroom we used was across the hall. So I had to go to the bathroom. So I went to that same bathroom we had used the previous show. So I go in and it's part of a locker room and no one's in there. And there's like no bags, nothing. I use the stall. I come out and who's suddenly there in the locker room area? Shane McMahon. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, but I had just used the bathroom. So I'm like, hi. And he goes, hey, man. And I start washing my hands. And I finish and I look over, no towels. So I'm like, ah, uh, and he's like, and I'm about to leave. And he goes, whoa, 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 I'm Shane. And I go, oh yeah, nice to meet you. And I try to leave again. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. who are you? And I go, I go, oh, I'm Mansoor. Nice to meet you. And I leave. And I swear to God, I bet he had, he probably thought I was like a local. <laughs> like I was a, like a, a, a janitor or something. But you just snuck in or something. Yeah, like I just snuck in. And I was like, huh, that was interesting. So I do the big battle Royal and I come back and who's there in gorilla Shane McMahon. And he was like, Hey, great job. Like that was a great promo kid. Good job. And I was like, Oh, thank you so much, sir. That means so much. Got to go to the bathroom again. So I go back to that same room and there's a sign outside the door now. And it says Shane McMahon's private locker room. <laughs> You're like, did they do that just because of me? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like, get a, get a piece of paper. We got to put it outside the door. Uh, so I mean, anyway. they probably should have been up there from the first place, right? You. Because if not, it's like, I'm pretty sure a bunch of people would have probably, you probably weren't even the, the only person that went in and used the bathroom. I you don't know that. You, um, you, it was just bad, bad yeah. timing. Yeah. So anyway, I have the match. Um, I'm horrified. I, I Everybody hates me. Uh, it's one of those things where we had to reinforce the ring because there were so many bodies. Otherwise, it was going to collapse. And there were so many people, I think it was an outdoor arena. So everybody's breathing in the same like 20 by 20 square feet. And it's sucking all the air out of it, uh, like all the oxygen out of the air. And I remember grabbing the ropes and my hand just slipping off because there was so much sweat from all the like condensation and like everybody's wet and like they sprayed themselves and they're sweating. And uh, I'm just surviving until the final five because I don't have any spots until the final five. And, uh, you know, people would pick me up, chop the shit out of me, put me back down. But th thankfully, I didn't have any Daniel Pewter moments where I, I wasn't like beat. The, I wasn't beat up that badly. Um, but then after the match, I made sure I went up to every single person and I thanked them like profusely. I introduced myself and uh, I was like, thank you so much. It means so much to me. Actually, at the end of that match, um, you can see me. Uh, they actually got kind of hot because like before the match, they were like, hey, jump into the fans arms to show you're one of the boys, like you're one of them. I was like, yeah, okay. So I left the ring and I jumped into the arms of my brother and my father and my family, but they were on the hard cam side. So they were all like, no, go to the other side, go to the other side. And I was like, ah, oh, but that's my dad. I gotta go to my dad. Yeah. Um, 
and then after that match yeah it, it was kind of like oh man i i that was a kind of moment where i remember thinking at the time i was in the hotel room after just buzzing and i was like if that was my peak if that was the one thing i get to do in my career i'll be happy not true <laughs> you think that for a day and then you go what's next yeah right? i want more give me exactly. more <laughs> exactly yeah. and uh it's the curse of a lot of wrestlers have it's the curse of ambition where even even people at the top of the industry are like i could be being used better <laughs> yes i get yeah. it man i feel like that happens in all walks of life but also did were you able like did the heat go away did it didn't last too long though did it yeah oh my god <laughs> everybody who was in that match i'm super cool with now like total just a brain fart on my end like i really was and in many ways still am just a dumb kid so okay i, I need to know that. with mace did you ever go back and tell him bro yes i got in trouble for not doing this yes and he always tells me like monsoor like you just gotta let me handle things okay <laughs> because you're not good at it <laughs> I love that. And I'm curious, how did you and uh, Mace become like best friends? Day one at the PC, it was like we connected. It was like, I actually, um, he was always streaming on Twitch for a long time. And even before I was signed to WWE, I messaged him like, hey, I'm getting signed. Can I hop up on your stream? And I called in for my shoot job, like my legit, I used to work at an escape room in uh, San Francisco. And I called in during my break. And I was like, I'm going to quit live on stream. <laughs> we did a thing where I was super cool with my boss and he knew that I was leaving for WWE anyway. So we did a whole bit where for his stream, I like, we had a big argument and I quit and I stormed off. <laughs> um, but once we actually like became friends, it, it got even more than just being work friends. Like we've had vacations with his family. He has three amazing daughters. Actually, uh, we went on a vacation with his family and that's what convinced me and my wife to have a kid because I, I was with, we went on like a Disney cruise together. And I was watching his kids and and we were at the beach and we were on the slides. And and I remember looking at them and thinking the most happiness I get is when I see them happy. Like it's not really about me anymore. And that's when I kind of figured out, oh, it's time to have a kid. Because when that sense of fulfillment comes just from watching other like people be happy, then that's kind of when you know, right? You had an epiphany. In a way, yeah. In yeah. a way, I was like, okay, let's, let's finally do this thing. <laughs> and it's been really challenging but also like the most fulfilling thing i've ever done and there's going to be even more memories to come uh i have a couple more questions for you Please, and then we're yeah. going to go ahead and wrap up to the lightning round game but um the questions that i do have still for you is all right i want to start off with uh your wrestling dad mustafa ali who you've mentioned a couple of times now and he was also you know granted of eventually you know he had been asking for his release it didn't happen uh and then he ends up getting released once it looks like he's kind of starting to do stuff again over on the nxt side of things mm -hmm. so he gets released, but now he's off doing his world tour. Uh, he's literally booked everywhere. I mean, it is a full-on list of all the places he's booked. Uh, how You worked so much with him uh, in matches against each other, in tag team parents. Uh, talk to us about the relationship with Mustafa Ali and how you sort of feel, you know, kind of seeing him right now go off into this world tour. It's like, so it's so funny because... Um... We've been calling each other like almost every week. Uh, I mean, we were doing that before, but like since both of us got released, we've just been talking to each other all the time. And actually he, it's, so he always tells me, he's like, Mansoor, you know, your, your fate in this business is to be in creative or to be on the other side of the curtain in some way. 
because, and you're too young, so you're not going to do it now. But he always tells me like, you're going to be involved in production or creative because he always says to me, like, like, for example, he just put out this amazing uh, vignette, right? This uh, video where he's like this political speaker and he's got this crowd. And for the last 90 days, he's actually been sending me drafts of the script. And he was like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Like, what shot should I do here? What music should I do here? Um, because I, I think we have that trust in each other. And I always ask him for advice because um, he, like I said, is my wrestling dad. And he's done that for me. He's actually like, I've been like, hey, um, I'm trying to work at this place. Do you know them? He was like, I'm going to talk to the promoter. We're going to get you in. Like, that's how wonderful and kind he is. And um, I, I just remember like, he, he would be pitching me ideas. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I, I always wanted him to be happy. But you know what? He's a lot like my other close friend, Dijak in the sense that they are so good and so ambitious, they'll never be happy <laughs> because it'll always be like what I said, what's next, what's next, what's next. And that's sort of the curse of greatness, right? Is like, it'll never be enough because they want to be more successful and more successful. And I always try to tell Ali, I'm like, slow down, settle down, enjoy your family and just be happy on the ride. And he's like, no. <laughs> I don't blame him, honestly. There's a reason why we had the I can't get no satisfaction. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, working with him was a dream because not he's excellent. But he also, okay, funny story. I lost my passport in Saudi Arabia during Crown Jewel. And uh, the day of the show, I had to go to the embassy and have an emergency passport made for me. Again, I'm a child. <laughs> and Ali was like, what are you doing? Why are you not here? Uh, I lost my passport. And I could just hear on his voice because he called me. He was like, nah. just disappointment. Right? So I get there and he's like, called the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and we tweaked it here and there. But that's just how amazing and responsible he is. I love working him. And I love working with him as a, as a tag team partner. Because not only did he just have a great wrestling mind, but his ambition and his drive for success was infectious. I mean, there was a week one time where we weren't on the show at all, but we were telling that story where he was a heel and I was a babyface, and he was trying to convince me that I had to be more bitter and jaded. And he was like, we're going to go get a cameraman and we're going to film a promo right now. And then we filmed it and he took me right to Kevin Dunn, who I had never met. And he was like, Mansoor, introduce yourself to Kevin Dunn. Uh, hi, KD. Hi, very nice to meet you. Uh, hey, Mansoor. KD, we filmed this thing. If there's time on the show, we'd like to get it on. Uh, okay. So they get the, the promo. And I think they ended up putting it on, on online or something. But I'll never forget, actually, like Bruce Pritchard went up to Mustafa and was like, the fact that you took the initiative to do that, we all noted it. And uh, we respect it quite a bit. That was just the way Mustafa is. Like, he, he'll never just settle for not doing anything. I feel like when you say that, it makes me want like somebody like Mustafa Ali in my life, honestly. Yeah, because yeah, he, totally. you're talking about how he introduces you to people. He's yeah. not afraid to just go up to people and be like, I'm going to shoot my shot, right? Because we all know you you miss all of the opportunities that you don't actually take. And so I feel like sometimes it requires an extra level of courage. And that's definitely something that uh, he has. And I think we all need somebody like that in our lives. So it's clear now, uh, getting like you talking about him, it's clear now why he had this like whole list of bookings and all of this thing uh, going on for him. So that's really awesome. Okay, 
And the next question that I have to get to is we were talking earlier, of course, free agency. And we know, you know, the question I'm going to ask, have you had any conversations with AEW? Is that a place that you are interested in, you know, speaking to them? Sure. Um, I love AEW primarily because I have a lot of really close friends who, um, for whatever reason, don't work at WWE anymore. And their families are fed and taken care of because of AEW and Tony Khan and their team. So for that, I will always be eternally grateful, uh, especially for the people who got let go during the pandemic. I mean, there was, I mean, there are people who would have been deported. I mean, there are people who would have had to like, would have had to leave America if it were not for the fact they got a work visa. Um, in some cases, AW, in some cases, Impact. Um, so for that reason, I mean, I will always be gracious that those options exist and that AW exists uh as that sort of alternative because it, it's so incredibly important and i've been a fan of aw i mean from day one it was like so i was an nxt for the heyday of the wednesday was it wednesday night wars right yeah it was the wednesday night wars and it was so funny because like there was such a culture of like oh aw but we'd be in this big because we used to film at full cell college so we'd be watching the show in a big uh lecture hall and I'd be sitting uh, with my buddies and we'd be watching AW on the phone, <laughs> like a two screen experience. You're like to let no one see us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the big screen, there'd be NXT. And on the small screen, there'd be AW. And I was like, this is great. This is like the Monday Night Wars. Like I never got to live through that. So it's super cool that I'm experiencing it now. Um, yeah. And from what I hear, it's a great place to work. And um, uh, so the thing that I'm like kind of... I want to work everywhere and anywhere. And uh, I've been locked into one company for so long that something about like making my own schedule and traveling the world in a way that is sort of on my terms really speaks to me. Um, I mean, there were times in WWE where I wouldn't have a match for three months at a time. I mean, these last 90 days, I didn't have a match for three months before the 90 days. And now I haven't had a match for six months. Right. And I've been in uh Natalia and Tyson Kidd's uh, gym, working out with them and training with them, which has been amazing, shaking off that ring rust. But the last thing I need is to be put in a position where I can't make those dates for myself. So I really, really, really want to rock and roll with this free agent thing for a long time. And what's great about AW and what's great about Impact now turning into TNA is you can do that. You can just appear on a show. You can do a rampage or a collision or a dynamite, a one-off. And if they like you, you'll come back. You can do Impact. Um, where you'll New do Japan strong. Match. Yeah, I mean, look at Will Ospreay, who's showing up on TNA and AEW and New Japan. Uh, look at Okada. Like, I mean, those are the best wrestlers in the world. And AEW is gracious enough not to just say, no, you can only wrestle for us. You're mine. You're mine. <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I haven't even had my first match back yet. I mean, January 5th at Hood Slam in Oakland, that's my first match back. And then every weekend for three months, I'm somewhere doing something. Many of those weekends with Mace. And, and you're I booked really every hope... January already. I, I saw your tweet where you said that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm super, super, super excited. I'm so happy to be booked and busy. And I really, really hope that I get to because I think I've always kind of felt like, and I, I hate talking about myself in this way, but I do really feel like this run on the indies and wherever that takes me around the world is going to be so instrumental in sort of creating a perception of me that I feel is more accurate to who I am. Like... I feel like I haven't had a performance that I can really, really, really be proud of in the ring since that Mustafa Ali match. And then before that, it was Cesaro. I mean, it was so few and far between. But now I feel like I'm going to go to every single town and every single country, and I'm going to shock people. I'm going to have match of the night everywhere I go. And people are going to laugh. They're going to say, Mansoor, yeah, right. 
but you're going to be surprised. I promise. You're going to be super, super surprised. I am going out there like a man with a mission, 100%. And I hope, I hope that I get to do that in AW, in Impact, TNA, all these companies that'll have me because I want to show as many people as possible what they were missing. Yes, that's what I'm really excited to see, honestly. And I'm really happy for you because, you know, you've seen it happen for so many people. And when you have such a positive, like you have such a positive aura to you you. and like a hardworking aura. And those are the two things that you honestly need to like, really go and really do this right and get to show people a side of you that they have not seen yet. So my last question before we move on to the lightning round question is, of course, we are literally just days away from a brand new year, brand new year, new you, we know the saying, Um, what are the 2024 goals for you? Uh, My 2024 goals, um, probably I would really like to work in every state in America. Um, I'm really trying to get that world map like I want to get a pin in every single state where I just get to work everywhere and, and get exposed to as many people as possible. I really, really, really want to work in Mexico. I really, 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 really want to work in Japan. I want to work in the UK. I want to work in Germany. Um, I'm talking to some promotions now in Europe uh, that are going to be like amazing. And I'm going to get to go there with Mace. And that's just going to be phenomenal because he's the most amazing. I mean, it's funny. Our family, we always joke that he's my road wife. Like there would be scenarios where we'd be in the hotel room together. I swear to God. So my wife, she falls asleep to murder mystery. Okay. She watches Dateline. It's the only thing that puts her to bed. And I swear to God with no provocation, I'll be on the road with Mace. We're in the hotel room. What does he put on? The exact same episode. No. of Dateline. I swear to God, they did not coordinate. They did not collaborate. That's why he's my road wife. Okay. Because it's like having, it's like being married on the road. Um, the only thing I hate about traveling with Mace is when I'm driving, he's on TikTok the whole time. And it's so annoying going through each and every single clip. It'll always start like, so this is the... the, 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 the I'm like, just watch one. Just watch one. Just pick one and watch it. <laughs> you get like two seconds of each one. Yeah, exactly. Even, might even just be one second. Exactly. But I'm lucky because um, kind of a, a little known secret, a lot of tag team partners kind of hate each other. <laughs> I, I've heard that. I've heard people say that. Yes. But I consider Mace to be my best friend and being able to travel with him, play video games on the road with him and just like talk and kind of shoot the breeze with him as we go from place to place. And we both share that mission. We're both so excited to go out there and, and show what we're really capable of with our, our hands untied. And, and I don't mean that to say in a negative way about WWE. It's just such a big corporate institution that they have to control everything you do because there's so much money on the line. There's no money on the line here. <laughs> You know, if we fail, if we succeed, it's on us. And I'm so incredibly happy to be able to, like you said, bet on ourselves. I mean, you see uh, grizzled young veterans and the run that they're having. Like I messaged um, Zach Gibson. I was like, God, you guys are awesome. Like, I hope we get to work with you guys because what you guys are doing is like inspirational. Um, All the new opponents, like I really want to work speedball. Mike Bailey, who's like amazing. Um, God, there's so many wrestlers out there. Uh, Jake something I'm a huge fan of. I saw him in DPW. Uh, Titus Alexander is an amazing talent who I knew when he was like 13 because he came up in the Bay Area uh, when I just started and I knew his dad. So to see him as like this amazing talent is so awesome. Um, We're working uh, Royce uh, Isaacs and uh, the West Coast Wrecking Crew. They're part of Team Filthy. I knew Royce from the Bay Area. So getting to work him like five years later is so awesome. I'm just so I'm optimistic and I'm excited. And God, I just I can't wait for people to see what we're really capable of. 
And thank you for having me on because even just getting to talk, like I remember one of the things that was crazy was I would beg, I would beg WWE, the writers and, and Vince and Hunter, just let me like cut a promo. Like, let me talk. Yes. And, and you can see that I can uh, communicate and, and, and sort of deliver messages in a way that is super confident. And, and, and there's something I can do here. And they're like, yeah, 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 sure. But like the first thing I did when I came back on the Indies at DPW was I got to cut a promo. And I was so happy that I finally got a live microphone. Um, so I'm just excited to show the world what I can do. I, yeah, and it, as I was sitting here, you know, kind of hearing your stories, I was thinking to myself, man, I would have loved to see a lot of this, you know, in WWE. And then you just mentioned it right now. And I just feel like it's so cool to kind of get to see your personality like a whole lot more. So I, I honestly, like, I think you guys are going to do phenomenal. I can't wait Thank to see so what much. 2024 looks like for you. Uh, before we end things, I do have a 10 question, uh, random game that I always play with people. And I ask you 10 random questions and you answer them however you please. So let's go for it here we go question number one who were your top three favorite opponents in wwe and why i would say claudio mustafa and i'm kind of cheating but alpha academy because there are two guys but as a tag team i loved working with them yes so much fun uh question number two what was it like wrestling gunther uh it was it was fun uh, Gunther is obviously one of the best wrestlers in the world, but I, I'll always laugh at the fact that um, when I was wrestling him, it was on a house show, and I got the whole crowd to chant, USA! <laughs> USA! <laughs> and Gunther was like, he's not from here either! <laughs> Super cool, dude. Love Gunther. I love that. Uh, question number three. Uh, who do you think you wrestled the most in WWE? Oh, that's a great question. I think I wrestled uh, Ashanti the Adonis of Hit Row fame probably 15 times in a row for 205 Live. <laughs> like, oh, my if God. If you go back at 205 Live, we wrestled like eight times. So I definitely worked him a lot. Um, we worked Alpha Academy like maybe seven or eight times on loops. I wish that match happened on TV because it was so awesome. Uh, but probably Ashanti, yeah. Question number four, what was your first job ever? Uh, I worked at an escape room in San Francisco where I was a performer. So I, so actually my background is uh, I studied acting in college, uh, primarily because I wanted to be better at wrestling. <laughs> my parents were like, I, yeah. like, I want to wrestle, I want to do the indies. They're like, no, you're going to college. I was like, well, I'm going to study something that is going to help me being on a TV show or some kind of serialized content like wrestling is. Um, so the job that I got right out of college was in an escape room where if you were in the room, say like we had one room where you're stuck in a jail cell and I would come in, in the cop outfit and I'd be like, you guys better not be doing anything wrong in there. And I'd like turn like cheekily and they'd pickpocket my keys, you know, and they pepper spray me. I have to go, ah, no, uh, there was another room where I had to like pretend to be a famous singer that they had to prevent from like dying horrible deaths. It was like a time loop escape room. Uh, so yeah, that was my first job that paid the bills while I was wrestling for 20 bucks. That's a pretty cool job. Honestly, like fun. if you're going to do any job, I would have much rather done that. Honestly. Yeah, and they were super cool about my wrestling gigs too. They were like, yeah, yeah, go do it. There, that's awesome. Question number five. What's one thing that you wish you got to do in WWE? Um, I really wish that the maximum male models got to work the Usos because I have such a tremendous amount of respect for Jimmy and Jay who were sort of actually, I would say they were the locker room leaders at the time. 
and they would always give us tremendous advice. And, and I'll never forget, we did a tour in Europe where Jay pulled us aside and he was like, you guys are low key, the most underrated thing we have going right now. Like, I see how hard you guys are working like Mansoor. Like, I know that you got something special in you Mace. I don't know what they're doing with you. You're low key, the biggest guy in the company. Like Jay was so awesome to us and he always was a believer in us. And I, I always wish that we got to actually work those two in the ring. Cause I think it would have been magic. That would have been so cool, man. Uh, question number six, who are the three wrestlers that you would love to wrestle in the future? I, oh boy. Um, so I really want to work Speedball, who is just awesome. Uh, I really want to work uh, Dark Sheik, who of GCW and Hood Slam fame, because she is actually was my last match uh, before I got signed. We wrestled at Hood Slam and it was my best match. Like it was an, it was like, a crazy, crazy, crazy match. And I'm super, super proud of that match. So for there to be a rematch after like five or six years and all the growth that we've done, I'm really looking forward to that. So I hope that happens. And then the third person that I would like to wrestle in the future, um, boy, I'm trying to think, uh, should I put over one of my friends or should I actually answer this honestly? <laughs> uh, I want to work Shane Haste. Yeah, I want to work Shane yeah. Haste because I think Shane of, uh, TMDK is one of the most underrated wrestlers on earth. He's also the like one of the funniest guys on earth and um, his work is tremendous and I would really like to wrestle him. Question number seven, what's one thing that most people don't know about you? Wow, what's one thing most people don't know about me? Um, probably that uh, I can sing. Ah. training and singing i was uh i was in a chorus uh in high school and i did musicals actually <laughs> yeah so i i did plays and musicals in college and high school man you really were a theater kid i oh yeah oh big yeah, time like, and that, what's so funny about pro wrestling is it's just like buff theater kids right <laughs> right down to the egos and the like drama Minus the singing not everybody's got the singing or who oh, no, knows maybe they do the you're 100% right about that. But like, even just like the amount of gossip that happens backstage, it's just like drama class, 100%. Like, don't okay. let anybody fool you, okay? Jocks do not gossip this much. Sports people do not gossip this much. I go backstage to Raw or SmackDown or even an indie show, and I learn more gossip about people than I would care to know. I That's love that. I love that. <laughs> Question number eight, who is the nicest person backstage in WWE? Molly Holly, hands down. Molly is, oh my God, I can't even begin to tell you how nice she is. Um, also, Nikki Cross is just the most wonderful, wonderful person. Um, her husband, Damo, big Damo as well, is amazing. But he he's 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 chewed my ass out before. Nikki, never. Nikki's always very, very sweet. Question number nine, what's your all-time favorite dessert? Lava cake. Hands down. You give me a, you give me a, with some vanilla ice cream on top. Good Lord. I haven't had that. I've been trying to get in the best shape of my life for this indie run. So I haven't had it in a long time, but believe me, if I get a weekend off, I'm, whoa, it's over. I'm going to be like a Dyson vacuum. It, that's it. I'm swallowing it whole. That'll be the reward. The reward exactly. for all the hard work. Uh, and last question, question number 10, what are you currently obsessed with? And this could be literally anything. This is such a lame answer, but being a dad <laughs> that is not a lame answer i would I mean, hope you're being though, a dad right so we take my daughter to jimboree 
And uh, I, I don't know if you know what Jimboree is. It's, it's like, like a play place, right? It's a play place where you take babies to go and everything is soft and matte so they can fall and hit their head and nobody gets hurt. And she just climbs around and climbs ladders and rock climbs and blows bubbles and there's a parachute. And I just like, I used to go to Jimboree as a, as a kid. My sisters used to go and I would take them. And for my daughter to finally be going where she will climb a wall at 11 months like scaling Mount Everest, and then she'll turn to me and go, ah. It just melts <laughs> my heart. Like it's, it's. We're going tomorrow. We go like two or three times a week because we're so obsessed with it. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. That's really cute. Oh my gosh. Well, Mansoor, I want to thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I really got to tell you, I just love, love, love your personality and getting to know you a whole lot more. And I'm sure all of everybody that's listening or watching this uh, definitely agrees too. Before we go, please tell the people some of your bookings that you've got coming up, where they can support you, where they can, you know, give you all of the shout outs. It's a whole social media thing. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Quick uh, shilling, uh, plugging stuff. Uh, my socials, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Suave Mansoor. That's a leftover from the Maximum Male Model days, but I don't want to lose my check mark. So it's S-U-A-V-E-M-A-N-S-O-O-R. Uh, you can follow our Twitch. Me and uh, Mace have a Twitch account where we stream. That's twitch.com uh, slash greatblackotaku. Otaku is O-T-A-K-U. Uh, we also have a YouTube and TikTok channel and Instagram account. That is the insiders TV. That's where we have a lot of our clips of stories from our time in WWE. Uh, people find those very funny. Uh, we have a merchandise page. We can buy t-shirts that is for your wear. That's F O R U R wear.com slash M X M. That is our tag team name. And if I'm going to be in your area soon, uh, let's read a couple dates. Uh, January 5th, I will be at hood slam. January 6th, uh, which is in Oakland. Uh, January 6th, I'll be in Brooklyn for Warriors of Wrestling. Uh, January 7th, I'm doing a signing at Wrestling Universe. Uh, January 12th, I'm doing a show in New York City that hasn't been announced, so I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, January 20th, we're going to be in Deadlock Pro Wrestling in North Carolina. Uh, January 26th, I'll be doing GCW, Wrestling Tony Deppin in Tampa. January 27th, I'll be doing GCW again for Effie's Big Gay Brunch. It'll be the reunion of MXM uh, versus bussy (laughs) amazing name uh and then as far as other announced dates i will be in texas uh february 17th for a wrestling revolver and uh i will be in montana for flashback pro wrestling with mace and then there's a bunch of stuff that i can't tell you yet so look forward to that but i will be announcing it on social media and denise I've had an amazing time. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're wonderful. You're uh, just as pleasant to be interviewed by, <laughs> just as pleasant to be interviewed by as to watch your interviews. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I truly appreciate that. I'm going to post all of the links in the description box below so you guys can follow Mansoor, give him some love, check out the bookings that he's doing and all of that great stuff. As to everybody watching, thank you guys so much. Thank you to Mansoor and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Bye everyone.